This is Education Matters, brought to you by the Ohio Education Association. Welcome back to Education Matters. I'm Katie Olmsted, part of the communications team for the Ohio Education Association, which represents about 120,000 K-12 teachers, education support professionals, and higher ed faculty members in the state. This month, we're celebrating Juneteenth and the end of slavery in the United States. June 19th will mark 156 years since a Union general arrived in Galveston, Texas in 1865 to announce the end of the Civil War and that all slaves were indeed free, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation was enacted. It was an enormous moment in our nation's history that has gained more widespread recognition in recent years, with Ohio passing legislation to commemorate Juneteenth in 2006. On Juneteenth, we celebrate African-American culture and heritage, freedom and resilience. And once again, we reflect on where things stand in our communities and in our schools. To offer her perspective on the very important topic of racial equity in education, let's bring in Dr. Antoinette Miranda, who represents District 6 on the State Board of Education and is director of the school psychology program at The Ohio State University. She has spent more than 35 years in education, both K-12 and post-secondary, and joins us now to share her thoughts. Dr. Miranda, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I want to start by making sure we're all on the same page about exactly what we're talking about here. What do we mean when we say racial equity, especially as it relates to our students in our schools? You know, one of our goals is to achieve racial equity, and we do that when race no longer determines one's socioeconomic outcomes, when everyone is able to thrive no matter where they live. And as a process, we want to apply racial equity when those most impacted by structural racial inequity are meaningfully involved in the creation and implementation, because it's about policies and practices that impact their life. And so we talk about racial equity because we know that in the United States, those people from minoritized groups often are most impacted because of institutional policies and practices and structures that exist in the environment that are barriers or challenges for them to be successful. And so when we think about education, it really requires us putting in place systems um, to ensure that every child has an equal chance for success. And that is really what we're about at the State Board of Education. But I will also say, in order to do that, that requires us to understand what are the unique challenges and barriers that may be faced by minoritized students or by other populations so that we can provide those additional supports. So while there's this feeling of like, we don't wanna talk about race, if we don't acknowledge it, we can't put those supports in place because we can't really examine the unique challenges and barriers that are faced by um, particularly low-income students and minoritized students. A lot of people, especially, quote, of a certain age, believe that I don't see race should be the answer. It doesn't sound like that's the answer for us. That is not the answer. And back in the um, kind of 80s and 90s, there was kind of this force on colorblindness. And so you had a lot of teachers that were trained in particular to say, I don't see color. That's, to me, nearly impossible And that it's not um, a bad thing to see color because we sort of have portrayed that if we acknowledge race, that that is a bad thing. But here's our reality. Race is so interwoven in the United States culture that there's no way you cannot acknowledge race. 
And so it is important to acknowledge race because there are students that are experiencing discrimination and racism because of their race. Uh, Here's a case in point, Asian Americans. And so if you try to ignore race, that's impossible because Asian Americans are right now experiencing anti-Asian sentiments and are being discriminated against, are um, being subjected to really ugly, nasty taunts and you know violence. And so to say we can't acknowledge race and we don't see it is a fallacy. It just really is. And so how does that translate to our schools right now? How would you describe the state of our schools today when it comes to racial equity? And how does that compare to your experience going through school or even over the course of your career in education? Yeah, I I think one of the things, and and I'm really proud of this on the Board of Education, is that we are really trying to tackle this. We are acknowledging this. We have known for some times, here's how we know, we constantly pull out the test scores and then we group them by race and ethnicity and then talk about how they're doing. If we don't want to talk about race, then we need to stop doing that. And I can't see that, just stop doing that. So we do that. And then we specifically talk about how can we help those schools, right? And so one of the things we're trying to say is that we need more supports. We need to make sure we're training teachers in culturally responsive practices. What does that mean? That just basically means understanding the culture of the students are in your classroom, whether they're low income, whether they're minoritized, what, you know, whether they're culturally different, because understanding those students and um, thinking about their racial background. Now, for some of them, it won't matter. Of them, It is important to acknowledge that. I think that's one of the biggest differences from when I was going to school. We just didn't talk about it. We just, we just ignored it. We just didn't say anything, you know, and when I was coming through, it was right when we began to integrate. So that's when we started to think about it. So when we integrate it, to tell you how important it is, when they integrated, there was a lot of school districts that put together commissions and people to help teachers understand about black children they were gonna be getting because they never had white children. So the fact that they did that says that there was something important about understanding race. How do we help white kids understand that they're gonna be um, being educated with black and Latino children? So all the districts that did that, that did integration, put those pieces in place because honestly, many of them looked at what happened in Boston with the um, integration, the busing and said, we don't want a Boston. And then we thought everything was fine. And so we're now looking at it again. And I think now we're looking at it because we recognize the equity issue. You know, it's not about equality because a lot of times they say, well, we just need to have equality and people are fighting against equity. But equity involves trying to understand and give people what they need to be able to be successful. Whereas equality aims to ensure that everyone gets the same thing. Well, here's the thing we know in schools, everybody doesn't need the same thing. An example I'd love to give is that if a kid needs glasses, are you gonna give everybody in the classroom glasses? No, only that kid needs glasses, that's equity. And so I think that's what we're really striving for. And I think finally there's a recognition that there are students, um, particularly low-income black students, low-income Latino students, that are in schools that lack the resources to help them be successful. That's one piece of it, but there are a lot of other pieces as well. Well, and as a member of the State Board of Education, you have such an opportunity to shape what happens in our classrooms. Yeah. But you also have the (laughs) first row tickets, if you will, to see the challenges that are coming, especially with today's climate. Yeah. Where do we go from here? What are some of the concrete things we can do today to ensure that all of our children, no matter what they look like, no matter where they live, have that opportunity to succeed. Yeah. 
I think, you know, I, I, I hate to use the word fight, but I think we have to be on the front lines of making sure that we can do these things. And it takes all of us, and it particularly takes teachers to have a, a, a voice in terms of saying no, because some of the things that are being proposed, what it really does is stifles the teacher's voice. They are dictating what you can teach. And, you know, on, you know, I was on this radio show and they were reading some legislation. They said, what does it sound like? And I said, it sounds like China. We are actually trying to legislate what you can do in your classroom. And yet what we really want to do is to make sure that all students, for example, see themselves in the classroom, see themselves in social study. Now we have a very one-sided view of history in the United States. That's it. And, and, you know, we are one of the greatest countries, but it doesn't mean we don't have our flaws. We have our flaws. And there's like a fear to acknowledge that. And the fear also is, is that I think of losing their place in society, but it does detriment to those that don't have access. That's really what it does. It means that they will continue to be held down. It means that they will continue to not have all the opportunities to be able to be successful. So on the board, we need to have to push forward and look at what is best for teachers, what is best for students. In, way, in some ways, I like, like I'm not sure we're gonna convince them, but we can push back on them. And, and I think that is about making sure everybody makes sure their voice is heard. And so that means going to your legislators. That may also mean that teachers need to march in the Capitol uh, to fight against this. Um, because we're always having stuff done to us in education and it's time for us to say, no, we know best how to educate our students. Well, and that's the thing about educators. Your job is to have difficult conversations at an age appropriate level with children. You want, we, you know, the thing is we want students to be able to think critically. We want students to be able to problem solve. We want students to be able to have a, a much broader view of the United States and understand how do we get here and how can we continue to make it better? That really is what education is about. Education is not about making patriots. Education is not about trying to teach people to love or hate our country. It's about truth. It's about presenting um, the truth of history, of English, of math, of all of those things, and then letting them come to a decision. And when we propose the kind of legislation that's being proposed out there, we're taking that away from students. And they get a very narrow view of what education is about. Your expertise is school psychology. From that mm-hmm. perspective, why do we need to have these honest conversations about race and, and continue to strive for that better racial equity in our schools? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. I spent yesterday doing sessions on trauma-informed care and social-emotional learning. And I am really proud of the board for championing social-emotional learning And one of the things that we know that many of our minoritized students are going through is racial trauma. And if you have racial trauma, how can you think in school? And so it's really important that we allow students to have a voice. And it's not only minoritized students, there are many white students that are just as concerned and caring and want to talk about some of these issues to make sense of it. And so we have to be able to address these things. It doesn't mean you have to devote all of your time to it, but if students start bringing it into the classroom, as a teacher, you wanna have the comfort level to be able to say, let's have a conversation about that. That means that they get to get their feelings out. We can give them coping strategies for able to deal with it. Because what people don't realize that some students that are experiencing racial trauma, 
are going back into environments where there may be fear of police, unfortunately, where there may be violence in their community, where there's crime, uh, where they have other people in the community that are engaged in violence and crime. And they have to go back to that outside of school. So how do we help students feel safe? How do we give them coping skills? How do we help them understand how to reduce their stress? So that, to me, that's what's important to ignore that there's racial trauma is to ignore the reality of what's happening in our society. Um, I go back, you know, I've talked to a number of Asian American students that have limited what they do. They stay in their house. They're very fearful of going out. Um, they, that should not be happening in America. And so when we talk about the United States, we actually have minoritized individuals that have fear of going out into the public because of racial trauma. And so when we talk about schools, I think we should have courageous conversation. That's what education is about. That's what we want to be able to do in the United States. We should be a country that has freedom to be able to talk about that, not a country that is being repressed and saying, we only want you to think one way. Because in many respects, that's what's being taught or being shared, especially in legislation, is saying, we want you to only think our way and no other way. And I will tell you, um, that is not with most racialized groups, unfortunately. So, and let's acknowledge the, the fact here. I'm white. I came from a predominantly white community. Mm-hmm. All but one of my teachers growing up was uh, a white person as well. It's not my experience in this world to be afraid when I go out, but that doesn't mean right. that it's not a valid experience for so many other people. And I think that's something that we need to acknowledge. That's something I've had to come to that. But I've also Mm -hmm. had to come to grips with the fact that there are large pieces of my education that I think I missed because of that. I didn't know what Juneteenth was until I was an adult. That's not something we talked about. So let's acknowledge the problem with that. Let's talk about the Tulsa race massacre. We're marking the 100th anniversary of that. But I can tell you, I had not heard about that until probably the last year. What is the problem with the way that we are sometimes ignoring these crucial moments in our nation's history? Katie, you know, there was something you said that I really like. You said validate other people's experiences. That's the other thing I don't think we're doing. We are not validating other people's experiences. And some of the things I heard and it's like some testimony down at the state board were things like black children will be victimized. They will be oppressed. They will be made to believe that they can't succeed if you tell the real history. No, that is not true at all. Like you, I didn't get any of this. I didn't hear about Juneteenth until I was an adult, probably about 10 years ago, had no idea about it. Tulsa Massacre, like you, just heard about it, had no idea about it. But one of the things that I share is that when I was um, an undergraduate and one of my friends encouraged me to take an African-American lit course, it opened my eyes. I was fascinated by it. Ended up taking four more courses out of the African-American studies department. And here's what my takeaway is. When you talk about real history, when you talk about slavery, when you talk about overcoming those things, Black kids are excited to learn about that. They're like, oh my God, we are in history. I would say that would be the same thing for Native Americans. That would be the same things for Asian Americans. That would be the same things for Latinos because the way history is now, they don't see themselves. So talking about the hard truths about American history doesn't make black kids feel like, oh, we're gonna, we're oppressed and we'll never be able to cheat. No, it makes you wanna fight harder. You see that your people were resilient 
and they're able to come out of that. And you look about what all the things that have happened and say, I'm going to make sure I continue to make a difference. So I think it's just an absolute, there's this messaging they want to put forward as if this will harm Black children. There's no way it will harm Black children. Black children want Black history. They are begging for Black history. And I find that white students need to learn about this history too, or again, they're going to be taught in a vacuum. And then they go out into the real world and it's like, I had no idea. So that to me is the harm by not teaching the full um, spectrum of history in the United States, even if it's flawed. Let's face it, we are a flawed nation. It doesn't mean we're not a great nation. It doesn't mean people are not proud of being Americans. It doesn't mean that at all, but let's tell the truth and the truth will set you free. That's what we say. So we have to be able to do that for our students and for the future of our and the next generation. And our kids can handle the truth, especially the ones who are already living this reality and see that racial trauma and feel that racial trauma. We're not telling them them something they don't already know. Yeah. You know, I've been teaching a diversity class at the university for 30 some years. I probably taught 50 iterations of that. And when I do, um, mostly a lot of my white students, but even some of my minority students have no idea because we talk about the histories of these different groups and they're just shocked. They, they never learned about Plessy versus Ferguson. They didn't know anything about Jim Crow laws. They didn't know anything about black codes. And all of a sudden they start connecting the dots and they start saying, ah, I have a different perspective of why there's racial inequity in the United States, because now I have the full spectrum of history. And we don't go about trying to make them feel bad. We really talk about how can you move forward and engage in socially just practice. And it makes them want to do that because now they have this historical perspective of it and they start to look at what are the ways that I can make sure that I am practicing in a socially just way with many of the students that I encounter. That really is the beauty of us putting all of this stuff out there. And I will tell you, do my white students sort of struggle when they hear about white privilege initially? But here's the difference. Intellectually, they understand it. Emotionally, sometimes it's going to be hard. And then they overcome that and say, it's not about them. You know, it's about how do I move forward? And I understand I have white privilege. I get it. And we also talk about a lot of other privileges. And I think that also helps. There's heterosexual privilege. There is middle-class privilege. There is having um, a a degree privilege. And so they start to look at the broader context of privilege. But I I have just found that almost 100% of my students welcome the discussions we have. And they just go, I just had no idea. No idea. I did not learn this. And let's be clear when we're talking about privilege, we're not saying your life wasn't hard. We're mm-hmm. saying your life isn't harder because of these characteristics. And I think that's something Correct. that maybe there's a disconnect in this conversation. Absolutely. But I feel like we are maybe at a turning point. This past year especially has been extremely eye-opening to me. And I, I've learned a lot about myself, about our country, about, about how we all interact as human beings. As we are preparing to celebrate Juneteenth, what does Juneteenth in 2021 mean to you? It's a celebration. You know, it's a celebration of the emancipation And um, I think as um, particularly African-Americans learned about it, they saw something to celebrate. And again, that's about understanding your history. And so I think that's the exciting thing about it. And um, so that's the way I see it. And I think more and more people understand it and it's become a celebration every single year as we have gone on and people have understood it. And I think with the Tulsa massacre, understanding about that makes the Juneteenth even more to celebrate and thinking about how do we go forward. 
And that's the thing. How do we go forward from here? That's the conversation we need to be having. Yeah, I agree. And one of the things we just need to understand, I like what you said, this was a turning point in our history. And what we have to understand is that the opposition wants to put fear because they're afraid they're afraid of that turning point. They're afraid of people really understanding what is happening in our country. And so what we have to understand is that there's code words being used and it really is about instilling fear in people. And we have to move away from that. So we just have to keep moving forward and pushing forward the agenda of equity. Dr. Miranda, thank you so much for taking your time and, and sharing your perspective with us. Yes, thank you, Katie, for asking me. Glad to do it thoughts on the podcast, send me an email at educationmatters at ohea.org. You can also connect with the Ohio Education Association anytime on social media. Just look for at OhioEA on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And make sure you follow or subscribe to Education Matters wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode in the future. Until next time, stay well. Stay well.